Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. So as you know, we're in the middle of a, a, a series right now. It's called You Asked For It. Basically, it means you can request what you want to hear preached. And uh, we collected these and, and, and put a whole heap of these uh, together and one of the really requested topics to preach on was, who is the Holy Spirit? And so that is our uh, question tonight. That's what we're looking at. Who is the Holy Spirit? Let me uh, begin by telling you a story. About 14 years ago, I was driving home from a friend's house, and I was very tired. We had a late night, um, and I woke up the next day and just decided to, to uh, head home. So as I'm driving, I'm thinking to myself, the thing I want to do most is sleep, because I'm so tired. So as I'm driving, I reach a roundabout where I can either drive straight ahead or I can turn left. And to go straight ahead is the fastest way for me to get home. Which is odd because I remember thinking that. And this is kind of hard for me to explain to you. But I found myself turning left. And you're like, are you not in control of your limbs? Apparently not. So I I discovered this on that day. And I found myself turning left. And I was thinking at the time, why am I doing this? I just want to get home. And I started driving down the road. And as I continued to drive, there was another uh, road that was on my right. And... I thought, you know what, I'm going to go this way home. And again, I thought, you know what, it's faster to go straight ahead. But I found myself turning right. I know this sounds strange. It is. Uh, I don't know how to explain it to you. So I'm driving down the road. And as I'm driving, I start to think to myself uh, about God and my relationship with God, and which is so fast, so distant to the point of non-existent. And I started trying to make a deal with him. Have you ever tried to make a deal with God? All right, so this is my, my bargaining chip. This is what I said to God. I said, you know, if you do these things for me, I might just go ahead and show up to church one day as it, using myself as my own bargaining chip. You know, if you look after me, I'll look after you, and I might even show up to church. And uh, it becomes apparent to me as I have that thought, if God is God, then... Really, shouldn't I just do what he says because he asked me to? And that tonight doesn't sound strange for you to hear me say that. But 14 years ago, it was revelation to me. And I'd never thought like that before. And that morning, I decided that I was going to go to church. And I hadn't been in church for a long time. So I'm driving down the road and I get to this Uh, a point in the road where I just feel like there was a church back there somewhere. Like, seriously? Yes. I just felt like there was a church back there. I didn't see a sign. I saw nothing that indicated there was. I just felt like there was a church. Is this not odd? Is this weird to you? It should be weird. Now, who feels like there's a church around, okay? So I do a U-turn, and I drive back, and I turn down a street, and sure enough, there's a church there. And this is what's going through my head. Wow, this is so lucky. I can't believe of all the streets that there's a church right here. I honestly think it's just dumb luck. And I drive into the car park and I walk into the church 
for the first time in many, many years. And I didn't really think about it then. But what was really going on is that God was speaking to me. And if you had have asked me at that point, do you know how to recognize the voice of God? I would have said, no way. Hear God's voice or understand him or listen to what he says? Not me. I don't understand how to hear the voice of God. And yet when I reflected on that moment years later, I realized that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and I was listening to him and I didn't even know how. And if somebody had told me at that moment, I think the Holy Spirit was speaking to you, I would have said, no way. God hasn't spoken to me like ever, I don't think. Like, I, I can't remember when that would have happened. The Holy Spirit, like, come on. Isn't that for the charismaniacs? You know, those really weird, freaky, excited, clap, clap people. Like, that's not me. That's not my thing. And yet, despite the fact that I had no ability to hear God's voice, he was speaking to me and I was listening to him. And I went into church and it changed my life for such a long time. And uh, I realized that on that day that the Holy Spirit, he is not just for some eccentric, excited people. The Holy Spirit is for everyone. And so I want to answer two questions tonight. And the first question is, who is the Holy Spirit? And the second question is, what does the Holy Spirit do? So if you feel comfortable, why don't you close your eyes? Let's pray together tonight. God, we just thank you so much that you're here. And God, we thank you that tonight you want to speak to us. And I sense that tonight you're going to give people an opportunity to go deeper in their relationship with you and to move from where they presently are and to experience some change in their life. I know that tonight in this place, someone is going to encounter you. My hope is for everyone to encounter you. I pray that our hearts would be open to everything that you want to do and everything that you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. The Holy Spirit is found in the Bible from beginning to middle to end. The Holy Spirit features right throughout the entire Bible. And the very first mention of the Holy Spirit, if you look up the first mention. You'll find it in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. And this is at a time before creation. And it says that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. The meaning of the word Holy Spirit, it means wind, it means breath, it means mind, it means spirit. The Hebrew word for spirit or for the Holy Spirit is the word ruah. If you say it the way that you're supposed to, it sounds like this. Ruach. Sounds like you're trying to get something out of your throat. Ruach. If you look it up in the New Testament, the Greek word for it is pneuma and essentially means the same word. It means wind or it means breath or it means blast of air. And you know, I think that sometimes people hear the description of the Holy Spirit as described by the meaning of his name and they think that that's what the Holy Spirit is. It's just some feeling, it's just some force that is projected from God onto you and you encounter God's Spirit through this rush of whatever that is. I thought about how to try to explain this to you tonight and I had this idea and my idea in my head went like this. I want everybody to just 
I want you to close your eyes and touch the person next to you. And then I said it out loud, and I'm like, that is a bad idea. Like, don't get anyone to do that, all right? So don't close your eyes and touch the person next to you. But what I do want is someone to help me out tonight so I can explain this very well. So why don't I grab Dale? You're sitting right there. That's the hot seat. So why don't you jump up here? Everybody hand for Dale. Who did a great job last night. All right. So... I want to try to explain to you why the Holy Spirit isn't just what He feels like to you. And so what I want, Dale, what I want you to do right now is I just want you to touch my arm. And don't squeeze it or flex, nothing like that. Just, yep, all right, just touch my arm. I know because I've been working out, but that's cool. So now let's imagine for a second that I can't see Dale because the Spirit of God is invisible, right? So you can't see the, the Spirit of God, but you might have felt the Spirit of God before. And let's imagine for a second that I can't actually see Dale. And if I wanted to tell you and describe for you what Dale was like, and all I had to go on was what I felt, this is what it would look like. Oh, Dale, yeah. Yeah, I know what he looks like. I can feel him. Dale's just a giant hand. Yes. Yes, I feel it. He's just one big hand. How do I know that? Because I feel a hand. That's what a hand feels like on my arm. So Dale, you're just one big giant hand. And then I realize that his hand is the part that's touching me. But in fact, there's an entire person connected to that hand. Can we please give Dale a round of applause and thank him. He did a wonderful job. Thank you for being my model. So to describe the Spirit as just the thing that touches you would actually fail to describe Him the way that He is. Because in fact, the Spirit of God is not just how He feels. He's got to be something else. He's got to be something more than that. I kind of feel like it would be easier if Jesus had given the Holy Spirit a name. Like imagine if we called the, the, the Godhead, imagine if we said it was Father, Son, and Elliot. And then we would know, i say, oh, okay, that makes sense. Father, Son, and Elliot. Now we know that, that, that the Holy Spirit is in fact named Elliot. That would be so much easier. But in fact, when you look in the Bible, it says Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then I realized something, that Jesus does give the Holy Spirit a name. In fact, he gives him multiple names. And you can read this for yourself, but in John chapter 14 and verse 26, it says that the helper, which is the Holy Spirit, the helper, he will teach you all things. And in that passage of scripture, we see a couple of things. One, that the Spirit of God is not just some force that's being projected by God, it's a helper. But then he goes on, and I'm not trying to be sexist, you can take it up with Jesus in your own time. He calls him a he. It says, the helper, he will teach you all things. So we learn three things. Number one, that he's a helper. Number two, he's a he. And number three, he wants to teach you something. And so I think about that and I realize the Holy Spirit is more than just what he feels like. He's so much more than just spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a three-piece harmony that comes together that makes you feel so good in that worship experience. That is not the Holy Spirit. 
That's not the Holy Spirit at all. That was just a great worship moment. And let me say something on the subject of worship while I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. I have been in meetings, uh, you know, over the years when people have come out and, you know, maybe something hasn't worked quite, quite well. Maybe somebody sang out of key or there was something went wrong with one of the instruments or whatever. I want to say this. The Holy Spirit is not scared off when somebody strikes a wrong chord. That's right. And so when you're in worship and you're like, oh, gosh, oh, what's happened to the Spirit of God? You don't understand. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave when someone plays a wrong note, or we're just meeting the different gods. I don't know how to explain it any other way. The Holy Spirit isn't scared by bad worship experiences. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is primarily interested in? He's interested in the hearts of people. He's interested in the condition of people's hearts. And, you know, if, if we want services where the Holy Spirit just moves, why don't we try doing this? Why don't you try coming to church after reading the Bible all week and praying all week and spending time with the Spirit of God? And when you come into church, instead of saying, I'm starving, feed me, you say, oh, I'm ready. And you bring an atmosphere with you. You want great worship experiences? Carry the presence of God into this space. Let's worship in unity. That's when we start to feel the presence and the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is not a three-piece harmony that comes together. The Spirit of God is not the hairs that stand up on the back of your neck when, the, you know, when you feel something. He can be in that. He can be in the worship, but that's not all He is. The Holy Spirit is not a cold shiver that you get while you're worshiping. I mean, don't get me wrong. He can touch you and do that. But if that's all the Spirit is, you know what we'll do? We'll say, hey, welcome to church. When you get settled, we'll just turn up the air conditioner, tell you it's the Holy Spirit, and, you know, hey, let's have a great old time. Then we'll do the service, and when we get to the end, I'll do the altar call. We'll just turn up the air conditioner all over again. Did you feel the Spirit? Because if you think that the Spirit is just a cold feeling that goes over your body, the truth is, is that you don't know what the Spirit of God actually is. The Holy Spirit has to be something that's so much more than these things that we think he might be. And so I started thinking about what makes you, you. What makes you who you are? I've heard it said that clothes make the man. I don't think that the Bible said that. Maybe somewhere in the back or something, I don't know. But I'm pretty sure that the Bible doesn't say that. See, a person is not the clothes that they wear. And a person is not the shoes that they wear. And, you know, sometimes I feel like oftentimes we confuse a person for what's on the outside and the package that it comes in. You've never confused a person for a house, right? No, because a person just lives in the house. You've never confused a person for a house. Well, let me ask you a question that might sort of blow your mind. Are you a body with a spirit or are you a spirit that's presently using a body to get around? And after this life, your spirit will go on into the next. Because how you think about that and how you answer that question will, I think, redefine for you a whole heap of things that are going on in your life and it will change and shift your identity. 
If we were just to look at what's on the outside, the house, this is the house. But who you are lives on the inside of this house. God took your spirit and he placed it in this body. See, what makes you you is the fact that you have a mind. You think. What makes you you is the fact that you have emotions. You feel. What makes you you is the fact that you have a mind, you have emotions, you have a will. These are the things that make you you. When you exercise your will, people can see what you're like, but you're still a spirit using a body to execute those decisions, whatever they may be. Now, if that, can we just agree on that together, that it's not what's on the outside that makes you you, but it's what's on the inside? Are you with me tonight? All right. So it's what's on the inside that makes you you, not what's on the outside. Well, what if I was to tell you tonight that the same things that make you you make the Spirit the Spirit? The exact same things. Have a look at this. The Holy Spirit has a mind. It says, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. There you go. Look at that. The Spirit of God has a mind. Who knew? You know, everyone that reads the Bible knows, I guess. But anyway, the, the, the Spirit has a mind. It says, because the Spirit intercedes. Oh, there we go. Hang on. The Spirit prays for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit has a mind. Did you know that the Holy Spirit also has emotions? The Holy Spirit has emotions. In other words, He feels. It says in Isaiah chapter 63 in verse 10, it says, But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And I was reading that and I thought, Gosh, the Holy Spirit would feel grieved, like feel bad. Like in my own mind, when I think about that, I kind of thought that he would be above that. Like, the Holy Spirit feels like that? Wouldn't he just be so far beyond that? But in fact, the Bible says, no, he's grieved. And then I started to think, well, gosh, I have emotions. You have emotions. Where do you think those things came from? Are you not created in the image of God? Are you not created in his likeness? You have it because he has it. The Holy Spirit has a mind. The Holy Spirit has emotions. The Holy Spirit has a will. It says all these things, being spiritual gifts in its context, they're empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each person individually as He, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, wills. In other words, when you read that very last part of that passage, it says He does what He wants with spiritual gifts as He wills because the Holy Spirit has a will. You see, the same things that make you, you, are the same things that make the Holy Spirit who He is too. And He's Spirit and your body, but you guys are still you because of what you have that's on the inside of you. See, the Holy Spirit is more than Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit is a person. And the Holy Spirit is more than that. He's part of something that we call the Trinity. He's the Trinitarian God. He's one God in three parts. And if you open your Bibles and you try to find the word Trinity in here, you won't find it because the word Trinity is never used in here. 
But what happens is that when we read the Bible and we see what is declared to be true about God over and over, we see, recognize, and identify that there are three parts to the same God. We call it the Trinity. It comes from two words, tri meaning three, unity meaning one. He is the Trinitarian God, one God in three parts. And I have heard the Trinity tried to be explained several times and, and, and it's whatever we can come up with almost fails every time because it's, you know, it's, it's incredible. I, I decided that I'd try to find something that I thought would be helpful. And this is the best picture that I could find. You see, they're all God. You've got the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father, but they're all part of God. They just individually have distinctive parts. And I remember having this conversation with my Bible college lecturer, and he said, you know, whatever we find, it's always going to fail, and let me explain to you why this image in front of you fails. Because you read from left to right and top to bottom. So when you read this picture right now, you start with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you put them in an order of importance ranked from the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And just because we read that way, and if I had any kind of keynote presentation skills, what I would have done is taken that image and I would have made it rotate. And made it circular and just, I mean, I don't have the skills and I've had a long week, all right? So I'm kind of tired, so I didn't do it. But if I had have done it, that would have been a far better look at what God is because we can't start from one, two, and three because all are co-equal, co-eternal. They're all omniscient, which means they're all knowing. They're all omnipotent, which means that they're all powerful. Omniscient, omnipotent. They, 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 uh, what's the last one? Omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He's everywhere, all at the same time. Every single part of God is, co is equal in that, same, uh, in that same way. And when we hear the Great Commission, when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he says it in this way. He says that you're to go and baptize nations in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He puts... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all on the same line, giving them equal value and equal importance. I don't think he would have said Holy Spirit if the Spirit of God was just a projection of who God was. He said Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is his own person and unique and distinct, but still as equal as the Father and of the Son. And you know, when we read that great commission in Acts chapter 1, Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says, you are to wait for the Holy Spirit, which the Father has promised. And he gives them this great commission and he says, you've got to go out and you've got to baptize nations and you've got to do all kinds of things. But, 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 but wait, 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 wait. Before you go, you've got to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Don't think about departing Jerusalem and trying to do what I've asked you to do before the Holy Spirit comes. And I think to myself, that's not just for the disciples then. I feel like that's for Jesus' disciples right now. 
I think to myself, why in today's age would we need the Holy Spirit to do the exact same job, any less than what they needed when Jesus said it to them in the beginning in the book of Acts? You see, we need the Holy Spirit to go ahead and do the same things that he told them to do. Because do you know why we call it the Great Commission? We call it that because every disciple of Jesus Christ is called to do what the disciples did. So we need what the disciples did also. You know, a couple of um, weeks ago, I went on a holiday. And three weeks ago, today, I went snorkeling. And we went out snorkeling at this place uh, called Turtle Island. And um, amazing, they had turtles there. I bet you didn't think that that was going to happen. Um, it's called Turtle Island for a reason. So here we are, and we're snorkeling, and I'm swimming above everything. And if you've ever been snorkeling before, you'll, you'll know this. Anytime you want to go down and, and swim under the water, you, you have to just hold your breath and dive under and swim as fast as you can. But because you're expending all this energy, you kind of get tired quickly and you can't hold your breath forever. And every time you start to run out of breath and you're down there for a little bit, you've got to come back up all over again. And I thought, well, gosh, someone should just invent a way that we could just stay underwater for a prolonged period of time. And they did. It's called scuba gear. And... On the boat, when we were snorkeling, there's me with my snorkel swimming around and diving underwater and coming back up for oxygen again. But there were these other people that put the tank on their back. They're not using all the same energy that I'm using. They're just relaxed. They're moving around. They're swimming. They're looking at fish and all kinds of stuff. I thought, that looks so much easier than what I'm doing. And it is. Can I tell you that your calling works just the same way. If you try to do what God's called you to do without the Holy Spirit filling your lungs continually with His breath, with His air, with His life, you'll step into your ministry call and you'll have to keep coming back up for oxygen. You'll get tired real quickly. You'll burn out quickly. You won't produce fruit. Every time you're staying in there for just a little bit of time, you're like, I've got to come back up again. What you need is the Holy Spirit to begin to fill your life and your lungs with air so you don't have to just step into it and step out of it and step into it and step out of it. I went to a one-day conference this week and you know what they said? They said that the industry with one of the highest burnout rates and they called this, psychologists called this, a violent industry was being a pastor. I thought, I haven't got violent yet. <laughs> yet? <laughs> Jokes. I thought, well, hey, that's, that's not me. But you know what? So many people, so many pastors all around the world, they're dropping out. Do you know why? They're getting tired. They're getting burned out. And I thought to myself, how many? I mean, pastors should get it better than anyone, shouldn't they? How many people try to step into what God's called them to do and they run out of puff? They run out of oxygen. They step in, they step out. They're burnt out. They're tired. They can't produce any lasting fruit. So they just give up and walk away. And then they're once bitten, twice shy, and they don't step into it again because they're like, I don't know if I've got the energy to do it. And my point is simply this. Maybe it's because we're doing it the wrong way. 
Maybe the reason that people are stepping into their calling, feeling like they're going to drown because they're overwhelmed, is because they're not doing it and allowing the Spirit of God to fill their lungs with His breath, with His oxygen. I don't know how many Christians in life would have attempted to do the Great Commission, their ministry calling, and done it in their own strengths to the point where they're striving, burnt out and tired. I don't know how many Christians would have done that since Jesus ascended, but I'm going to go ahead and say it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of people that end up like this. I mean, trying to be, forget doing ministry, trying to be a Christian and doing it without being filled with the Spirit of God is like having an awesome car in your garage, but not having the keys to actually drive it. I mean, it might be capable of a lot, but until you get the keys and turn on that engine, it's just going to sit there. And I feel like for so many people in ministry, for so many people that want to step into what God's got for them, if you do it without the Holy Spirit, you might be a great vehicle, but you won't be able to, to sort of start to produce fruit. In fact, you'll probably just end up sitting there until God comes and fills you and you begin to do it in His strength. Jesus says, man, don't, don't do it in your own strength. Wait. Please wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. Please wait. And he says, when he comes, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, he will fill you with power. And that word power is a really important word. In fact, this is what it means. The Holy Spirit fills people with power. He gives people power for ministry. The word in Greek is uh, dunamis. That's how you say it, dunamis. And dunamis is like that explosive force. It's where we get the word dynamite from. It means force. It means specially. It means miraculous power, ability, abundance, meaning, uh, might or, or, or mightily, miracle, power, strength, violence, mighty work, like wonderful work. It's translated this way in the King James Bible as power 77 times, mighty work 11, strength 7, miracle 7, might 4, virtue 3. My point to you is simply this. We were told as disciples of Jesus to wait for the Holy Spirit to fill us with power because the job that we're given requires it. See, you need to know that if you go ahead and try to do what you feel God calling you to do and you don't do it with the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, honestly, you're going to burn out. You're going to get tired. And I feel like if we don't say it, that's exactly what's going to happen to some people. You see, every miraculous work that you read about in the Bible. Every time you read the Bible and you see something that's amazing, it was made possible by the Holy Spirit. It was made possible because he filled them with his presence. And I know that so many of you know that. In fact, as I look out here tonight, I see a whole heap of Christians. Some of you have been Christians since you were little kids. Some of you know the things that I'm talking about, but I want you to forget what you know for just a minute. I want you to forget that Christian upbringing, that expectation. I want you to forget what you think you've seen for, for just a minute. 
I want you to imagine something with me tonight. Let's imagine that you're on a yacht and the yacht capsizes and you go into the ocean and unfortunately the crew drown and everyone thinks that everyone's dead so no one's coming looking for you and you wash up on a beach all by yourself and nothing from that yacht washes up on the beach except for a Bible. And you get it and miraculously and amazingly it's still intact and you can still read the pages. And because you've got nothing better to do, you never considered yourself to be a Christian. You didn't come from a Christian home and you don't know anything about Christianity. But it's the only book that you've got on the island. So you figure, well, I'm going to read this thing. And because you've got nothing better to do, you read this thing from cover to cover over and over and over again. And then one day, 20 years later, someone rescues you from that island. And after reading this book for 20 years, they say, what do you want to do? And you say, oh my gosh, the first thing that I want to do is go to church. And they say, why would you want to do that for? And you're like, are you kidding me? Have you read what happens in a church? Have you read what God does when he gets his people together? This Surely this is the most exciting place on planet Earth. After 20 years, this, where would you go? Take me to church. Take me to church. Anyway, take, take me to church. Uh, because this is where the Spirit of God moves. And I wonder if you walked into church. Listen up, people that have been Christians for a long time. I wonder if you walked into church and you went in. If you look around and said, ah, oh, I wonder if what you read would line up with what you see. I wonder if you would find Christians and say, hey, come on, where is this amazing life that I've read about? And you find people that say, oh, don't ask me. I've, I wouldn't really know about that. I've never seen that stuff. I've never done that stuff. I wonder if after 20 years of reading this, if you would come away from that island and find the church and find people and say, this is not what it's supposed to look like. This is not what it's supposed to be like. Because I don't know about you, but me, I think the Bible is supposed to shape our expectations of what the church is. I feel like this should be what we're headed towards. I read a quote by a theologian by the name of Tozer, and he wrote this to his culture in his time. He said, We may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. We have measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek higher plateaus in the things of the Spirit is all but gone. We have imitated the world, sought popular favor, manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord and produced a cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Ghost. And I read that and it grabbed hold of me. 
because I read that passage and I thought, is this true for us? I don't know about you, but for me, that deeply challenges me to not settle for my history and what I've seen, but to press in for something greater, to not stop where I am and compare my spirituality with the spirituality of someone else. Why would I want to do that? Should it not be that I read this word? Should this thing not shape my expectations for the kind of relationship that I could have? And you know, this morning I was standing in worship and I felt the Spirit of God say to me, if my church only knew what I would do with them, if they would just give me all of themselves, if they would, ha- if they would hand themselves over to me, if my church, if my people only knew We would see something different on planet Earth. And I can tell you this personally, just being honest, just sharing with you. Over the past several months, I have felt God calling me deeper into His presence. And I know that sounds like some kind of Christianese that I should go ahead and explain to every new person that's sitting in the church today. But I can only describe it as this. I feel like sometimes we're playing around in the shallows of what God has got, but I don't want to settle for that. I want to go deeper. I want to find more. I'm not happy with where I'm at right now because I believe that I haven't arrived. So I'm not going to quit and give up now when I believe that there's more. You know, even this week on Friday, just wanting to have more of God in my life, I'm hearing it more. And on Friday, God spoke to me. He said two things to me. One was for me. Another was for a person that was in our church. When I heard him say that, I called up that person. I said, God just told me this thing about you. He said, oh, you're absolutely right. That's exactly where I'm at. And I gave him some advice and some direction in that moment that shifted his thinking and changed the direction of his life. Why? Because I decided that I wanted more and I wasn't happy to settle for where I was in life. And I've learned something that the more I pay attention to the Spirit of God, the more He wants to speak to me. You see, you may be like I was 14 years ago and thinking that you don't know how to hear the voice of God. I thought the same thing, but He started speaking and instinctively I responded to him did you know that God speaks to you through dreams you're going to have dreams and God's going to speak to you he says that in the last days he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh and his sons and his daughters they're going to prophesy they're going to see visions they're going to have dreams like amazing things are going to shift and happen God wants to speak to us through dreams he wants to speak to his people through visions do you know that God speaks to you through your feelings I want to say something so important tonight. I've seen people come into church and give their lives to Jesus. And as that gospel seed has been sown in their heart, I see the enemy of their soul come and snatch it away when I hear things like, oh, it was just emotional. Oh, the church just got me emotional and I made an emotional decision. Do you deny that the church facilitated an environment that made you make an emotional decision, I say, of course it's emotional. What do you think guilt feels like? What do you think, like when you feel the presence of God and the conviction of the Spirit of God, don't you feel that in your emotion? 
14 years ago, I walked into church after living a life that I wouldn't tell you the details of, and I bawled my eyes out. Was it emotional for me? You bet it was. Because I felt the guilt and the condemnation and the shame of 10 years of my life in a moment. It was crushing for me, except that God wouldn't leave me in that place. But He brought me to my knees. He brought me to that place. And I said, God, I give my life to You. Was it emotional? You bet it was. And I would never say that making a decision to follow Jesus isn't emotional because it is. When you love somebody, don't you feel it in your emotion? When you love someone, when you want to get married to someone, when you date someone, the way you feel about your mom and your dad and your brothers and your sisters, is it not love? Where does love come from? Don't you feel it? Does that make it less real? I don't think so. I don't think so. I've seen that get snatched away from people because they thought it was emotional. They were right. But when we listen to what God wants to say, it's amazing what He'll say to you. You know, so much of the Bible can just be summed up in these words. Hear and obey. Make yourself available to God and then just hear and obey. Just do whatever it is that God says to you. Just listen to Him. I'll tell you the truth about me. For some of you, this might go over your head, but I'm just going to try to explain it. I'm naturally a Martha and not a Mary. In the Bible, Jesus tells his story about these two sisters. One's called Martha, one's called Mary. Jesus comes, Martha gets in the kitchen. Why? Got to serve him. She's doing all the right things culturally expected of her. And her sister is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Meanwhile, Martha's in the kitchen working hard, getting annoyed at her sister. And she walks out and she says to Jesus, Jesus, are you not going to address this issue with my sister? And this is what Jesus says. He said, Mary has chosen the greater portion and it will not be taken from her. I came out of a corporate environment where goals were just driven and there's nothing wrong with goals. You got to have goals in life. But everything was driven and focused and that's how I was. And to just sit for hours at the feet of Jesus, honestly, I get distracted. You know, I could sit there, but then like, you know, couple of hours in, I'm just thinking about lunch. I forgot what I was there for in the first place. I, that's not naturally me. Naturally, I, I, I want to do something. I want to act on something. That's kind of who I am. But I have to say this thing remember, and remember that Mary chose the greater portion. And I realized in my life, I have learned this lesson many times, the futility of trying to do things in my own strength and not producing fruit. I've learned that I can spend months working on something that Jesus solves in a moment. And I can make life hard for myself by living a life where it's all task and void of the Spirit, but I'm not gonna produce the fruit that God's asked me to. It's impossible. The greater portion is to spend time with Jesus. And so I have, I'm disciplined I, now. I mean, I'm spending time. You know, the funny thing is, is that the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you enjoy that time the more that you look forward to it. It's where I find myself right now because surprise, surprise, Jesus has asked that we should bear fruit. If you're a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus, He's asked that you bear fruit. I think about the disciples that He said those very words to. I've appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. 
uh, thinking about the kind of fruit that they produced. You know, Peter, oh, foot in mouth, Peter. Oh, Peter, that, hey, just keep your mouth shut before you mess this moment up, Peter. Oh, Peter, that at Jesus' trial, what did he do? They said, hey, I think I recognize you. Aren't you with that guy, Jesus? He said, no, 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 that's not me. Yeah, 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 you're the guy. It's not me. Yeah, surely we've seen you. No, it's not me. I tell you, I don't know him. Afraid, Peter. Fearful, Peter. And I read this book of Acts and I see in the first couple chapters, there is a marked difference with the Peter I read in the Gospels and the Peter that I read in Acts. And the defining moment was the presence of the Holy Spirit had filled him and every other disciple. And this fearful, Jesus, uh, this fearful Peter speaking to the same crowd that was yelling out, Crucify Jesus! 50 days earlier, he gets up in front of the same people and preaches uh, his very first message for the very first time publicly in front of thousands of people in another language, I might add. Gets up, says it, and says thousands of people hear what he says. They're cut to the core. 50 days ago, they're saying, kill Jesus, kill Jesus. Holy Spirit comes. The conviction of the presence of God falls upon the people. They say, oh my goodness, we've made a mistake. What do we need to do? What does he say? He says, repent, be baptized, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. They go ahead, do that, and they go out and do the exact same thing. Do you see what happens when the Spirit of God prepares your path, prepares you know, your way. <clears throat> you could spend so long trying to accomplish what God is wanting you to do with your life or you could go and have the greater portion with Jesus and suddenly everything you're trying to do, it just, it just kind of happens for you. All right, so I'll tell you the truth. You know, I was on holidays a few weeks ago. Well, I came home and uh, I've had a really busy couple of weeks, so my suitcase is still unpacked. Like it's on the floor of my bedroom right now. And it still has clothes in it. And I remember the first week thinking, man, I'm going to have to get all these clothes out of here. But I had a really busy week, and so uh, in the first week it was weird. In the second week, I just kind of forgot that it was weird to the point where I started putting clean clothes back into the suitcase. Like, that's not weird at all. It's not like we don't have a wardrobe. I mean, I got coat hangers. I just, <laughs> it was weird at first, and then it just kind of normalized, and I got used to it, and I forgot that I should be doing something about it. My point to you is simply this. Don't, don't go ahead and normalize a lack of the Spirit in your life and become so accustomed to not hearing the Holy Spirit and thinking that that's all life is. It might have seemed strange to you when you got off that island, but then you too would just see how church works and how people live their lives and say, oh, this is what's normal. Don't settle and rationalize and say, oh, this is just a normal Christian life. You know, I'll tell you something right now. I had this whole message worked out. And yesterday I was praying to Jesus about it. I said, God, what do you want me to do? He said, well, you can start by deleting that next bit that you wrote. I was like, okay. I said, what? I said, hey, God, what do you want to do in this moment? 
This is what he said to me. I'm going to give these people an opportunity to have their lives changed by me tomorrow night. He said, I want you to delete what you've written and I want you to replace it with this. I'm going to give these people an opportunity to have their life changed by me tomorrow night. And I started to get excited yesterday after lunch, just even thinking about this. He said to me that he wants to change you. That he wants to change you. He said to me that he wants to make people more aware of what he's doing and who he is and how he can interact with their lives. Some of you sitting there and you're like, oh, doesn't God just love me the way that I am? No. He loves you enough to change you because he's got plans and purposes for you and he loves you enough to do something about where you're going right now. And don't get me wrong. I mean, look, even if you don't respond to Jesus' invitation, the Spirit's invitation to be changed by Him, don't get me wrong. Let me just assure you of a couple of things. If you've given your life to Jesus tonight, hey, you're still saved. God still loves you. He doesn't love you any less. I mean, you'll survive. You'll survive. You'll, You'll make it through. But is that your goal? your goal here for this whole church thing just you guys just surviving and wanting to make it through I mean are you just here to avoid hell you know and you get up to heaven and Jesus says oh your name's on the list you're like oh all those Sundays finally pay off so glad I went to church I can avoid all the all that other stuff is that your goal you just here to avoid hell because if you're just here to avoid the bad stuff that comes after this life You're going to miss everything God wanted to do with your life. And tonight, He's giving you an opportunity, everyone in this room, to be changed, to be transformed, to go deeper. You happy where you're at? I don't know about you. I want to go deeper. I mean, I'm reading this thing all the time, been preaching for years. I want to go deeper. I don't want to settle for where I'm at in life. You know, he says the most amazing thing. He says that he's going to make his home in you. And I feel like for, for, for some of us, this is what happens. The Holy Spirit will come and he knocks on your door. And you're like, oh, hello, Holy Spirit. Why don't you come on in? He says, hey, thanks for having me over. You're like, yeah, great. Make yourself comfortable. I've prepared a room for you. Under the stairs in that little closet where we keep our shoes, that's your room. Because he's a gentleman, he won't ask you to do anything or change anything. He says, all right, you want to keep me in there? That's, that's fine. I feel like so many people are keeping Jesus and the presence of God in the small rooms of their house, which is their life, in the closet. And they're keeping him in there. Do you know what would happen if you said, Hey, Jesus, I want you to come out of there. Holy Spirit, come and fill my heart and fill my life. You have an all-access pass to my life. You can be in any room. Everything I have is yours. You want my money? Take it. You want my time? It's yours. You want my talents? Let me use them in any way to serve you. You're in my house. You're my guest. I want you to be here. I feel God saying, do you know what my people would happen to my church if my people said, hey, just have any room that you want. 
I feel like for a lot of people, maybe someone here tonight that you've been striving to try to make possible what only God can bless and do. And it's energy and it's effort, but it could be so much easier than that. Do you know that the Bible says that the Holy Spirit sanctifies you? Do you know what that means? It's just a big Christian word that basically means He takes you and makes you holy. He takes you and He makes you more like Him. And you've been pressing in and trying to do it in your own strength and say, I am going to be like you. I'm trying hard. I'm doing my best. When the Spirit of God could just come into your life and just do it for you and bring you and draw you in and make you closer. Do you know that the Spirit of God, when He goes to work in your life, things that have been hidden from you, solutions and answers to problems begin to be revealed to you? that God just begins to give you words about your future, words about the futures of other people. And He says, oh, just let me speak to you. Please listen. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit, that when He comes upon people and He fills people, that He gives them all kinds of gifts, the working of miracles, healings, there's all kinds of things, gifts of leadership. If you just listen to Him, if you just allow Him to do with you what He wants to do, do you know that when the Spirit of God fills you, there's an atmosphere, there's a, there's a change. You can feel it in the air to where the Spirit of God is. There is a Spirit of unity. There's like, man, we're, we're in this. We're going to do this together. God's going to do something with His church where the Spirit of God is. There is blessing. And I tell you something right now. Satan's greatest hope is that you're going to ignore the Holy Spirit for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life. Because He knows that if you partner with the Spirit of God and you allow Him to fill you, there's nothing He can do about it. His best hope is that you don't listen and you don't obey and that you don't let the Spirit of God do with you what He wants to do with you. 14 years ago, I left someone's house early in the morning and was guided, directed by God. I ended up at this church in the middle of nowhere. I walked in and my family was sitting in that church. I didn't even know they went to church. It was my extended family. And I walked in. They said, what are you doing here? I said, I have no idea. And I didn't know what I was doing there, but God did. He brought me to that place. And I felt Him that day. And I heard His voice. And I made it my mission in life to obey Him and do everything that He's asked me to do because I know at the end of my life, He's going to say, did you do what I asked you to do? I know I can do it in my own strength, but if I let God do it with me, if I let Him produce these things in my life, I know that He can take me and do way beyond what I could ever do on my own. So tonight, I get the sense, I get the feeling that God is going to give you an opportunity tonight to be changed by Him and to go deeper and to not settle for what you've seen, but to go to that next level in Him. I feel like God's putting that invitation out for you tonight. Why don't we stand together to our feet? trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.